You're listening to Good Shepherd Brentwood's Sermon Feed. Today's sermon was preached by Mother Natalie Van Kirk and recorded on the second Sunday after Pentecost, June 11th, 2023. I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Her name was Ada. Not that anyone used it much anymore. If they saw her out on the streets of the village, they were more likely to hiss or spit at her and say, get out of my way, woman, than they were to call her by her name. But her name was Ada, which means jewel. And once she had been. Her father called her his precious little jewel. Her husband told her that her eyes were like jewels. And when the time of her nida was past, each month he came to her with praises and gentleness. He loved her so much, her Abel. And they were happy together. Abel told her that her daughters were like jewels but none such a jewel as she. She and Abel always did their best to keep the law. And when the time of her nidah came, she went to the shelter on the roof and slept on the cot there. The maid prepared the meals and set hers out for her away from the family. And she sat on her chair on the rooftop out of touching distance from her husband and daughters, and ate. And when they prepared for sleep, she went to her shelter and slept alone on her cot. In a way, she enjoyed this time of rest. For the time of her nida and seven days afterwards, she had to be separate. She prayed. She found her that she drew closer to God during this time. She could talk and tell stories to the children, but the thing she could not do was be touched or to touch someone else. Everything and everyone that she touched would become unclean and would have to follow the laws of ritual baths and prayers and cleaning to be restored to purity and holiness. But when this time of Nidal was over, her body, her chair, her cot, her bedding, her clothing, all had to be cleaned before she or anything she had touched could be touched by others. She enjoyed the quiet, but still, the lack of children's kisses, of hugs, of snuggles, the lack of her husband's embrace could be hard. She was always glad when the separation was over. It might be hard, but that was what Torah required. It was what God required. And Abel was always, always happy to have his Adah return to him. Abel wanted more children so did she they hoped for a son but ada noticed 
that the time of her nidda began to get longer and longer for only a few days or perhaps a week would she be able to resume her duties and then it would start again. No more children came. And finally, it did not stop. She moved to the roof. She had to sleep and live apart. She could not go to the market. She could not spin or weave. She could not prepare the meals. She and Abel would sit together on the roof for the evening meal, but every week the distance grew between them. It was cold on the roof. The little brazier that she had gave only a little bit of heat, and the blankets were too few and too thin to always keep the cold out. The maid ceased to listen to Ada and began to act as though she were the mistress of the house. When her daughters married, she could not join in the feasting and the dancing that the women had as part of the celebration. She could only stand at a distance and watch. When her daughter's children were born, she could not assist with their birth. There was no blessing she could give the little ones, no holding, no kisses on the tops of their little heads. She ate for a hug, for the warmth of another person's embrace, and she prayed for this nightmare of Anida to end. Some days she wished her own life would end and free everyone from the misery. And then came the most awful of awful days when they, they came to tell her there had been an accident. The roof beam on the house that the men in the village were building had slipped and it had hit Abel in the head and he was dead. Her beloved, her joy, her protector, her husband was gone. They carried his body into the house, and finally, after so long, she was able to embrace him, to touch him, to bathe him, and to wrap him for burial. Ministering to the bodies of the dead made one unclean, but it didn't matter because she was already unclean. She washed him with tears and water holding the hands that she had loved, cleaning the nails, kissing the scars she knew so well. But he was not warm, and he could not respond. She followed as they carried him away for burial, and she wept. But there were no embraces from family or friends. They all skirted around her, pulling their robes so that they did not accidentally touch her. No one came to sit with her and mourn. No one came to say Kaddish. Her daughters did come, but they stood at the door and cried as they told her that their husbands would not take her into their homes. There were too many children and there wasn't enough space and they would be unable to protect themselves from uncleanness and 
surely, surely she understood. They were her daughters. What was she going to say? She didn't want them to hurt any more than they did. Of course she understood. In the market, the stall keepers would not let her touch their produce. They would put it on the ground for her to pick up. They would not even take the coins from her hand. She had to lay them on the table and not touch anything else. Her neighbors and friends would not speak in the street. They twitched their robes and crossed the street as though she were a leper. No one called her by her name anymore. And then there came the day when there were no more coins left in the jars where Abel had kept their money. The maid was long gone, probably with a sack full of coins, and Adah had nothing with which to purchase food. For a while, her daughters would put out the remains of the evening meal, and she could pick up the bowl and take it home to eat, provided she got there before the street dogs beat her to it. And then even that stopped. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how, must, how long must I live with this affliction had become her daily non-ceasing prayer. Yesterday, though, yesterday had been a good day. Her neighbor, neighbor Tali, had called to her and put half a dozen figs and a piece of bread on the stoop for her to come and eat. Only one of the figs was moldy. So maybe today would be a good day, too. She'd heard in the morning that that young rabbi, Miriam's son, had come back to his hometown and had been healing the sick and casting out demons. Perhaps. But she no longer had any friends who could take her to him. She had no one to speak to him on her behalf, and a woman, much less a woman in her condition, could not get close enough to speak for herself. Still, she set out and she wandered the town looking for some sign of where the rabbi was, but there was no crowd, there was no commotion. There was a noise coming from the synagogue official's house. It sounded like someone had died. And then she saw the official run down the street and into another house. When he came out, Yeshua was with him. She would have recognized him anywhere. He looked so much like his mother. And there were a lot of men with him. And the crowd was coming in from all directions of the village to see what was happening. And with tears running down his face, the official pulled on him and tried to hurry him along. My daughter, my daughter. Ada didn't know if the stories of the healings that Jeshua had done were true. She had never heard of anyone being able to do things like that. But what did she have to lose? Maybe, maybe I can get close enough to just touch his cloak, Ada thought. 
Perhaps in the crowd, no one will notice me right away. And if I hurry, maybe I can touch his cloak before they start throwing rocks at me. She saw a gap in the crowd and she ran. She ran like she hadn't run since she was a girl and she threw herself on the ground behind him. What did she care if she got stepped on or kicked? That was a small penalty to pay in the face of the possibility of being set free from this long nightmare. She reached out her hand and crawling and scrabbling through the rocks and the dust, just barely, barely touched the tassels on his cloak. One of the things about being a priest is that you get to worry about stories like this. The story appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it is always told in the order that it appears in this morning's gospel. Jesus is on his way to the synagogue official's house to raise his daughter from the, her deathbed, and this poor woman runs up to get just a little touch of his cloak in the hope that she too could be healed. Now the fact that these two miracles come together, it's, it's always important. It says something about the likelihood that it actually happened this way. And it says something about the importance of both healings in the story. The first the woman is about raising someone from the living dead. The second is about raising someone from her deathbed. Now, usually when preachers try to preach this text, they focus on the little girl. The story about the woman is just too hard. It's so hard to understand what's going on there. It's a little bit icky. And besides, it seems pretty straightforward. She just seems like an interruption in the important things that Jesus was doing. And all that might be true until you read Leviticus 15, which lays out the law around Nida. When you read that, you realize how much like lepers this woman was, how much she was one of the living dead, alone, abandoned, cast out of the community life. And that's why I told the story with the full effects of Leviticus 15. I wanted you to be able to feel how terrible her plight really was. You know, all too often, the people in Bible stories are like stick figures to us. We cannot feel with them. They just move in and out of the stories with no relation to us or our lives. But in Jesus' day, everyone knew someone like this. And so they could fill in all of the blanks. They had names and emotions and families 
where they could have seen this happen without the conveniences of modern life and without modern medicine. This is what happened. Now, the Levitical instruction doesn't have anything to do with some sort of hatred of women. It has to do with three things. First of all, it has to do with cosmic housekeeping. The people of Israel were to order the world in a way that kept everything in the place that God had put it. That, by the way, is the job of the people of Christ. If you were to make sure that everything stayed where it intended to be, you had to pay attention to blood because blood belonged inside the body. It was unclean when it was outside the body because that was not where God intended it to be. The second thing that it's concerned with is an inability to know what was contagious and what wasn't. Modern germ theory and modern medicine was not part of this world, and so we can't judge Scripture as though we knew, they knew what it was. Any wound that bled was liable to infection, and no one knew whether that infection would be contagious or not. The last thing it has to do with is the loss of blood at Nida, which was seen to be a little death. It was one of the extraordinary mysteries of women that they survived this regular event. But the Nida that would not end was a constant form of dying. You will notice in the gospel that Jesus does not rebuke the woman. He doesn't complain that she touched him. She is healed and she is restored to relationships and restored to her place in the community. Like the little girl, she too is raised from the dead. You know, we often forget that Jesus, our Messiah, came to heal to make all things new, but he did. And healing was a huge part of his ministry because it is the way that we know that the kingdom has come. In the kingdom, there are no living dead. In the kingdom, there is no death. In the kingdom, there is no illness. There is no separation and all relationships are whole and complete and restored and lived in the presence of God. There is no wound, no hidden darkness in your life, nothing that happens to you that, that can keep you apart from Jesus. Jesus brought that kingdom with him and any form of death has no place. That is why all must be healed. There is, I'll say it again, nothing in your life that cannot be healed by Christ. You have only to want to be healed 
and then to reach out and barely, just barely, touch the hem of his cloak. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in hearing our sermons in real time, you can check us out at our website, www.goodshepherdbrentwood.org, or attend online during our 1015 Sunday live stream on YouTube. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Good Shepherd Brentwood. If you have any questions or comments, or maybe you'd like to meet with one of our clergy, you can email us at office at goodshepherdbrentwood.org. Or if you're interested in visiting in person or have questions about our programs and services, you can text 615-637-3738 where you'll be contacted by our staff. We'd love to meet you.